Complete the third annual YMYW podcast survey by September 21st, 2020 for your chance at a $100 Amazon e-gift card. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to access the survey right there in the podcast show notes. No purchase necessary, U.S. residents only. Sorry to the 368 listeners in Russia that put us at number 24 on the Russian investing podcast charts. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, the fellows are talking day trading in a Roth. Roth conversions, of course, tax loss harvesting, retirement asset allocation, tax on dividend paying stocks, investing in bonds, social security's weapon, GPO, 529 plans. And they'll cover all of that in about 40 minutes. The rest of the show will be all about Joe's fragile ego. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Uh, Tim writes in, Joe and Big Al, big fan of your TV shows. Not the podcast, just the TV show. Yeah, right. It's okay. After listening to your shows over time, so he listens to the TV show but doesn't watch it. Yeah, because <laughs> you have to see us, and who wants to see that? <laughs> Interesting. Well, you, you and I have a hard time watching ourselves I've never TV. watched one episode. <laughs> yeah, you did. You and I, we had to watch the first, the first episode, episode with our yes. producer, and she told us everything we were doing wrong. Yeah. So after that, scarred for life. <laughs> uh, all right. So Tim goes, uh, listening to your shows over time, I've built up some quick fire questions that I would greatly appreciate your thoughts and answers on. Um, it, and then, so this is the guy that goes, what, too many or something? Then he replied to the yeah, one. Yeah, he emailed us a week later and said, what, was there too many questions? You couldn't too, answer them? So. so like too soon, too much? Um, <laughs> so, all right. I'm retired, not taking Social Security yet. And most of my assets are in tax-deferred and Roth bubbles on your chart, which is the small amount in the taxable bubble. Um, I just recently transferred my full remaining TSP funds to a Charles Schwab traditional IRA account. TSP would only allow me to convert cash, and I understand that Schwab will allow me to convert ETFs, funds, etc. Prior to my transfer of my TSP to Schwab, I've started converting an amount from my TSP to my Schwab Roth, just enough to keep me in the top of the 24% tax bracket. Okay, so now he's got a bunch of questions. Am I correct? In one of your shows, you stated that you can only convert funds from a 401k plan to a Roth once a year, and that it has to be a year in time before you can convert more. For example, if I converted funds from my 401k to my Roth on, say, February 15, 2020, do I have to wait until February 16, 2021, a year later to convert again, or can I convert on January 2nd? Um, all right, Tim, you, you got to start watching the shows versus listening. <laughs> uh, no, Maybe that's been, a good point. Uh, never said that. There's a, you can convert as many times as you want. It doesn't matter. You can convert daily. You could. Convert $1 a day for 365 days. So he's got that mixed up with, I think, the 60-day rollover rule. Yes, sir. Um, so sometimes what happens and, and where a lot of mistakes happen is that well, people will take possession of the dollar. So they'll take money from their 401k plan and they'll do it as almost a 60-day rollover. So the check is made out to them. And then from there, they're putting it in, they're depositing it. They put it in their account and they, they like to look at the balance. Oh, look what I got in my checking account. Right. And, and then, then finally, they put it finally in it's like, okay, let me put it in the Roth. That, that you can only do once a year. Right. Because you want to make sure that it's a um, direct 
transfer from the IRA to the Roth. You don't want to do a 60-day rollover. That's only once a year. Uh, the 401k, but the 401k, sometimes they just write you a check, but it needs to be in the, in the name, name of the, of the custodian, Roth. right? So Charles Schwab for the benefit of, of Tim. Tim, right? Yep. Um, when I convert my 401k funds to a Roth, do I have to wait five years for it to have been in the Roth to take the funds out tax-free? Uh, five-year clock, there's two five-year clocks. Uh, one five-year clock is on contributions and the other five-year clock is on conversions. Um, and it depends on if you're over 59 and a half and under 59 and a half. Well, he says he's retired. So let's assume he's over, over. 59 and a half. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, we don't know that. I'm just going to make that assumption. So if you convert monies into an existing Roth IRA that you've had open for five years, uh, then there's no separate five-year clock. You have the, access the to that immediately. The, yeah. yeah, the money's fully accessible because you're over 59 and a half. If you were under 59 and a half, you would have to wait five years or till you turn 59 and a half to have access to the converted money. So um, the answer's yes or no. Uh, <laughs> when, uh, let's see. When, let's, we, we got time for one more here. When okay. you discuss tax loss harvesting, you mentioned buy something similar. 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 <laughs> How do you define something similar? For example, if I sell Exxon, do I buy another oil type company like BP? Yes, that is something similar. Yeah. Or what if it's a fund that has oil stocks? Yes, that's something similar. Right. You pick. I don't care. Yeah. You sell Coke, buy Pepsi. You just can't buy the same thing over again. That, that's the only caveat here. Right. And when you look at tax lost harvesting, um, you want to harvest like ETFs, index funds, uh, mutual funds uh, versus individual stocks. Because of course, you know, you can sell Exxon and buy PP, but I mean, it's in the same industry, but they're fundamentally totally yeah, different. And, and you could sell Exxon because you don't like it anymore and buy Apple because you like it. It doesn't have to be in the same industry. We're just saying you can't buy the same stock. But, but the reason we say buy something similar is because we assume you've got a well thought out portfolio and you're selling one thing and you want to buy something similar so you're still balanced in the same diversified portfolio. Okay, real quick. Uh, do you have to do the harvest part of the tax loss harvest. That is, if I sell a stock at a loss, can I just take the loss and write it off against income separate from the standard 24K write-off? Um, would in that case be limited somewhere around the 3K write-off against income? I don't know where the 24K I think that's from. I think that's standard deduction maybe. Oh. Yeah, the $3,000 would be in addition to the, because it's an above the line deduction. Yeah, that's right. And that's, so. that's all you get. Dollar for dollar against other capital gains, $3,000 against ordinary uh, income. Uh, Tim has one last question, Alan. Okay. Uh, Tim goes, being retired, does it make sense to be sort of a day trader in the Roth account uh, since there is no capital gains? I have the time to check the market daily. In fact, several times a day. I have ETFs that somewhat follow the market. If the market drops, they will drop and vice versa. As an example, if my ETF hits a high of, say, $100, sell it, and when it drops a few dollars, let's say $97, buy back a $3 per share profit. Uh, there doesn't appear to be a tax penalty as it's a Roth, nor a penalty to buy and sell in such a short turnaround. In the meantime, I will have made a few bucks on the turnaround. Thank you. Look forward to your next show. Did you follow that? 
Well, he, the, the premise is correct. Which, so the market well, drops. Well, hold on. The, the, the premise is that because there's no capital gains, short-term or long-term in a Roth, you can get away with shorter-term trades and not have a tax consequence. So I, I, I concur with that part of the, of the question. But the other part of the question is, should I be a day trader in my Roth? Because, and he used the example, I bought it, um, let's see, if ETF hits a high of 100 and sell it when it drops to 97 and buy it back for $3 share profit. Well, this is no problem. Okay, you I, have a stock for $100 a share. And you sell <laughs> and, it for 97. <laughs> I think it's backwards. Okay, but. So, but, so he sells it, but, but we don't know what the basis is. I guess it doesn't matter. He sells it for $100 and then he's going to buy it back at 97. Yeah. He's assuming a $3 profit, but how about it, then it goes from 97 to 95 right? or 90. The, the problem with the, this is market timing and the problem with market timing and day trading, which is extreme market timing, right? Which is you set, let's just say, let's say you bought it at 95 and it goes to a hundred and you go, okay, I'm going to sell it now. And, and a $5 I, and profit. I, and, I, and I'm going to wait for it to go to 95 and buy it back. And lo and behold, now at hundred, it goes to 120. And it, it never gets anywhere near and you missed it. And that's the whole problem with this is nobody knows the, what the market's going to do from moment to moment. But his math is still doesn't make sense to me. Am I missing something? I think he has it backwards. He's, it hits a high at 100 and I sell it. I sell it at 100, then buy it back at 97. Oh, no, that's right. Well, he's assuming, it's, he's basically saying he gained $3 because he bought it back again at 97, sold it at 100, has the cash. Now he Even bought it back that, in a $3 per share profit. And he's got $3 in cash. But see, that presumes you can time the market right. But Which, what's the basis? And what is it? It doesn't matter. He's just saying, it, regardless of what he paid for it, if he sells at 100 And then buys it back at, at 97 Okay. Then you're, you're ahead. Okay. I, I, I agree with that. If you could figure out when to and time he buys the market. at 97 then it goes to 90 Right. And then he sells or 60 <laughs> Or whatever. Right. That's the problem. Well, I don't know. I, I think Tim should day trade. Do you? Yeah, continue to day trade. Follow a, another um, podcast that does day trading. We can find them one, can't we? Do you know uh, what are you what are you shaking your head at me for? Is that snarky? No, I'm just, I, I'm remembering I'm remembering the fact that you've said things like this on the podcast before. So and it gets us in trouble. Uh huh. Why would it get us in trouble? What did I say that would get us in trouble? Go ahead, day trade. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me compliance officer. Actually, we 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 don't want you to day trade. We think that's kind of risky. Oh yeah, that's right. But I will tell oh, you. Remember that. So I said that I was like, you know, we should put the right when COVID hit. I called it too. I called the market. I said go into cash, and then all of a sudden everyone was saying, should we go into cash? I, I like, do oh. remember. I that. was like, oh god, but uh, no, let's not do that. That yeah. was just something that I was saying out loud. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, Andy, we should have just stuck with it. <laughs> You know, you the day, day trading works really well in a bull market, and we've had a long bull market, and day trading works terribly when the when it turns, and it will turn. Well, just be careful. Well, yeah. Well, good luck with that, man. Thank you. 
The fellows are already eight episodes into the sixth season of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show. Time flies in COVID times. You can binge watch them all at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or just listen like Tim does to learn about investing in volatile markets, bridging the retirement gap at any age, how to avoid the costliest investing mistakes, how to build a dynamic financial plan, and plenty more. I've linked to the latest episode of YMYWTV in the podcast show notes. And if, like Tim, you need a refresher on the five-year rules for taking money out of a Roth IRA, you can download our free guide on that very topic from the podcast show notes too. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app. Hello there. I'm a big fan of your show. Keep up the great work. I have a question about our asset allocation. This is CC, by the way. Says that at the start. That's the name. She just put CC just yeah. like yep. that. Yeah. That's in it. Bold. Yeah. No, it, no, it well, wasn't she, in bold. That was for your benefit. I got it. But you I skipped over it, it like, anyway. I thought it was like a CC. It's like she's CCing the, <laughs> the, like the email. Well, she, she, she actually sent this to a better show, but she CC'd she us. She CC'd just us. In case. <laughs> just in case. We might talk about it. Yeah, we answer the question. <laughs> um, okay. I'm 50. My husband's 55. Uh, looking to retire in three to five years. Can you make a suggestion on how to change our current asset allocation, giving upcoming retirement plans? Do we need to increase our bond holdings and reduce large caps? Uh, any other specific recommendations? Thank you. Uh, first of all, CC, we do not give recommendations on this show. We give suggestions. We just chat. Yeah, we just have, chat. Have there's a no, chat. There's the, talk to an advisor to get a recommendation. Yeah. The, if you the, want to hear um, some. I guess banter about <laughs> uh, some, some thoughts. Some thoughts. But see, our, the problem, CC, is we don't know near enough about you to really give you recommendations. That that's and we can't do that over the radio because we just we we just we would have to spend hours going over your personal situation. Oh, that just sounds exhausting. <laughs> I don't want to spend hours. Let's spend two minutes here. Here okay. you go. You're, right. you're going to get some um, free thoughts, CC. Okay. She's got a uh, paid off home of 600,000 bucks. Rental properties, 2.2 million. Mortgage left, 300 grand. International funds, 300,000. Small cap, 700. Cash and bonds, 800. Large cap, 1.4. Total, 6 million. That's all she gives us. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's crank out a financial plan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's what, yeah. You need okay, to- well, first of all, this is where um, our listeners go wrong. We need to know just, and then then you get guys like Kevin that writes 15 pages of nonsense. No offense, Kevin. We love you. We need to know how much money that you want to spend, how much income that is coming in, and then what liquid assets that you have. Those are the three major components. So CC needs to say, all right, we would like to spend $100,000 a year, right? But our... Rental properties of $2.2 million of equity, it's probably bringing in close to, I don't know. Whatever, yeah. hundred grand? Yeah. Right? And then we have Social Security that is going to bring us another $50,000, right, at age 67. So that won't be for a while, but. Right? What's the allocation? Well, then we can say, all right, well, here, you, you don't necessarily need to take on that much risk because it looks like your fixed income sources are covering most of your overall expenses, and so when you start looking at asset allocations and what you need to do there, you have to figure out what target rate of return that you're trying to generate. And our recommendation would be to take the least amount of risk possible to get the target return that you need to accomplish your goals. Yeah. Okay. So, and I'll say that again. So the, the basics, what, what we need is how much do you want to spend in retirement? So that's the first thing. 
Second thing is what's your fixed income, like rental property, social security, pension, right? We'll subtract one from the other. You need 100,000. Let's say you got 60,000. Just I'm going to make up in some numbers right now. You got $60,000 of fixed income. So that means you're short $40,000. You need $40,000 from your portfolio. We also need to know how much you have in liquid assets or portfolio. And then we can start to give you an idea, maybe how the allocation should be. Because once we know if you need $40,000, if you've got a million bucks, well, that's a 4% distribution rate. That looks pretty good. That might be closer to a 60-40, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. If you, if, on the other hand, if it's, uh, let's say you have a couple million, it's like, oh, okay, now we, get, we got some wiggle room here. You could actually be more conservative because you don't need as much, much income, but you also have assets that you don't necessarily currently need. So you could even be a little bit more aggressive if you want to, at least with some of the money. So that, that's kind of how we would take a look at it. So right now, um, CC, you've got 25% of your money in cash and bonds. Uh, you're looking to retire in the next three to five years. I would probably increase that exposure at least to, you know, I think she wants some rules of thumb. So I would say this, probably 40% of fixed income. That's a pretty good number. Um, but that, again, that it's going to be, it, it, to really get specific on recommendations, what she's asking, I'm, I already told her that we're not going to do that. But I think to give her some better idea is that, all right, well, maybe a 40% bond allocation will help because we got stocks at basically all-time highs in the middle of a pandemic. She's got one, she's almost got half of her liquid assets in large company stocks. Large company stocks have had the biggest bull run in the history of mankind. You look at Apple, is at $2 trillion. Yeah, as of today. As, right? And so you're, 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 you have so much money in one asset class that is, if you look at the PE ratios, the price of earnings, I mean, it's, I don't know when it's going to correct. And basically, what, um, the S&P 500 itself is down 5%, but the, the Netflix, Apple, Amazon are up 35%. So what's driving the overall market are like four or five major companies. And you have half of your liquid assets in there. Would I diversify out of that? Absolutely, I would. You only have $300,000. So 10% of your overall liquid assets in international stocks. We would probably want to increase that to 40%. Well, maybe not 40 of overall, maybe 40% of stocks. 40% of stocks, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then break that up between uh, emerging markets sure, and, sure. and in, in international or, or developed markets. So I think it's heavily weighted towards a NASA class that has produced very, very good returns for a, a quite some time. Sure. Would I want to reallocate the overall portfolio based on your goals? Yes, absolutely. But if you want just kind of a general rule of thumb, I'd probably have a little bit more fixed income, take some profits off the table, and then diversify it a lot more globally, and then not have such a heavily weighting on um, large cap. We got Smitty from Roseburg, Oregon. Right. Smitty. It's gotta love that name. Huh? I love Smitty. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, hello, Andy, Joe, and Big Al. I listen to your podcast uh, where you guys were talking about dividends, and it got me curious about two tax scenarios. All right, Al, let's okay. see if you're up for the task. Okay. We got scenario one. I own a $100 stock. It pays a $10 dividend, which I collect. All right. Scenario two. I own a $100 stock. It pays a $10 dividend, which I do not collect. It is automatically reinvested. Then one day later, I sell $10 of it. Would the tax scenario of one and two be the same? If not, please explain. Great show, by the way. 
Uh, the answer is no. Um, so I guess let's kind of dive in. You've got a $100 stock. It pays it. Let's just say everything else remains equal. Okay. <laughs> because for this, this dividend paint stock, people just lose their mind. We, we, yeah. Right. If the stock pays $10, folks, now pay attention here. The, okay. 10, the $100 stock price goes to $90 per share. True. Okay. You get the $10 in hand. The stock price is now worth $90. $10 is a dividend. You're taxed on $10. By the way, $10 would be a pretty good dividend on $100. <laughs> That'd be a 10%. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that banger. before. <laughs> you get. Um, but, all right. But let me, let me explain. So whether you um, collect the dividend or reinvest it makes no difference on the taxes. You still have to pay tax on the dividend. So that's number one. <laughs> so, so far we're the same. But here, here's where this gets skewed is now the next day you sell $10 of stock. So now you've sold some stock, which now you've got to look at your total um, basis. basis on that $10. And now you're going to have gain on sale on that $10. So now you've actually made your tax situation worse in that particular case. Yes. So I think he's trying to think of the example that we gave is that if he said, I had a dividend paying stock that is paying me a $10 dividend yeah. versus a non-dividend paying stock, then I'm creating my own dividend. Right. So, but if he's getting the dividend, right, and then he's then selling it the next day after X dividend date, right. it's not very tax effective. No, he, he basically paid a couple taxes. Now, what we tried to say was if you have a, a stock that doesn't pay dividends or very low dividends, Anytime you want to get access to the capital, you just sell a little bit and create your own what we call a synthetic dividend, which is taxed at long-term capital gain rates as long as you've held it for at least a year. Right. And if, if, if anyone out there, if you hear the little coffee shops and things like that, is that, oh, I don't like that. doesn't pay dividend. I like cash flow. Yeah. They don't really know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> True. I was listening to a podcast, um, Ricky Barnes. You know that name? Mm, golfer yeah yeah he was kind of he's kind of a big deal back in the day got it and then he kind of laid an egg yeah yeah you're uh, right totally totally he used egg. to wear that painter's cap yes you yeah. are right yeah right yes the guy has never won but he wore a painter's cap and made him famous <laughs> um, no i'm kidding it was a it was a good interview but it, you know he's he's talking hey if you if if you were never a professional golfer what's the next step and he's like oh i really like investments All right and then they're like oh what stocks well i don't like that one doesn't pay a dividend i like cash flow and i was like uh you're kind of an idiot <laughs> so needs, i digress he needs more seasoning in the it, profession it could, right? yeah yeah. Because we get in this kind of debate all the time. It's right. like, well, no, dividend-paying stocks are this because it pays a dividend and blah, blah, blah. You get your cake, your cake and eat it, too. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, exactly. What's wrong with that? I get, <laughs> I get cash flow plus. It appreciates. Why wouldn't I want that? <laughs> because the stock goes down by the amount of the dividend. Not me. Every time, every time there's a dividend, the stock goes up. It's, it's like, well, that's because the market went up that day. You've been lucky so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're wrong. <laughs> Am I paraphrasing this right? <laughs> but my dividends are different than anyone else's. <laughs> Joe, you do not know what you're talking about. You are crazy. How many times uh, has that come up in class? Oh, that dialogue? Millions, millions. <laughs> oh, and then you finally just gotta. Then you just gotta agree with them. You're right because the dividends <laughs> let's, that you let's, have. Let's, let's agree to disagree. Let's move right. on. It's like the movie My Cousin Vinny. You know the, the grits on your griddle. <laughs> faster than, you know, none of man, uh, whatever. 
Oh, so yeah, Smitty, you, you got to be careful. Um, if you're selling the dividend after X dividend date, you're going to, you reinvested the dividend. It's already distributed, but you just reinvested it. So you bought more shares right. with the dividend that you received. And now you're selling shares, which will cause a potentially gain on sale. Correct. Because it depends on whatever the basis is. But, but the, the dividend that you reinvest increases your basis by the amount of the dividend. It does. And I think the, the, the key point here is whether you receive the dividend or not, you still get taxed on it in the same manner. <laughs> That's why we feel that dividend. Uh, we, we love dividend paying stocks too, by the way, people. We love them. We love but all we, stocks. We love all stocks. <laughs> we just don't, we, we don't discriminate, yeah. right? We don't just want a basket of dividend paying stocks. We want them all. Catch the podcast episode Smitty mentioned about dividend paying stocks along with the episode on choosing the right asset allocation for your retirement portfolio in the podcast show notes. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app. And of course, that trusty Ask Joe and Big Al on air banner is there in the show notes too. And your money questions are always welcome because without them, YMYW would likely be nothing but derails about golf and beer and Joe's pet peeves. Uh, We got Kevin from Denver. He's back, Al. Um, and, he, and he wrote us uh, a novel. <laughs> he did. It looks like two pages. This guy, he just, he gets in the weeds. <laughs> um, so I'm going to paraphrase, but I, okay. I, I understand what he's asking here. And I think some people um, ask us questions to show how smart they are. Yeah. And then, <laughs> as how dumb we are. It, yes. <laughs> and then, you know, as a courtesy to your listeners, I think they should know this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, Kevin's one of those guys. Right. Uh, so he, he writes, hi, Joe, Al, and Andy. I know how important it is for Joe to get top billing. Well, Kevin's well, a regular listener. <laughs> yep, he's right on target here. Is that pretty important? You, it is. It's very, you know, I, a very low after, sense of uh, security. <laughs> after a show, if you're not top billing, it's, it's over. It's, it's like a week of depression. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> so bad. It. Um, I hope everyone is doing great and making the best of our new world order. As always, I really enjoy the show and the entertainment re- entertaining response while driving around Denver. My '98 Toyota Avalon. Wow. Ooh. Okay. I don't even know what that looks like. It's like a big giant Camry. It's, it's a car. <laughs> yeah, it's a car. Oh, okay. Yeah. Avalon. All right. Very nice. All right, Kev. Getting in the weeds. Yeah. It's Avalon. So your Avalon. Avalon. He's probably. I mean, so he's saving money by driving it. 22-year-old car. 1998. Wow. Um, I have two questions, and I figured you could address the one that's most applicable to your listeners. See, I told you that was probably coming. Okay, right. Um, All right, so there's a couple here. One, um, let's just go with the first one. Okay. Uh, He's already answered his own question. Uh, But number one, perhaps it's COVID or just good planning. Uh, but I've been trying to figure out the SSA Gov website and my wife's survivor benefits. Should one of my all too frequent bike crashes result in an um, untimely demise? Wow. What the hell is he thinking? I mean, so this guy's grinding numbers on his death. Yeah, because he thinks he's, I guess he gets in a lot of crashes and one might actually be his end. Some background I'm 57, planning to work until age 63. My wife, 50. Uh, plans to work until age 60. My wife has a government pension uh, and falls under the windfall elimination provision. It appears that not only are her benefits reduced, but there is also significant reduction in survivor benefits that she can receive due to her pension. Um, so a couple things. Um, works for the federal government. 
um, multiple pensions through the federal government. Um, so she's not either putting in um, Social Security because she falls into the windfall elimination, uh, 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 elimination, uh, Jesus. <laughs> elimination provision. Thank you. That one. Oh, well, it, so she, she probably, I mean, she, so she's got a government pension and she may have social security benefits as well, maybe from another job. Yes, but they reduce those benefits based on the pension. Right. So basically the government's saying you can't really double dip. Right. So you could, you, you cannot receive full retirement benefits through the social security benefit, uh, through the social security administration. And, um, oh, this is going to be a really long show. Wow. <laughs> I'm We're telling this you. First segment. Oh my God. Uh, but there's also something else for survivor benefits and spousal benefits. It's yeah. called the uh, GPL, the government pension offset. And so, does, it works the same way, right? Same way, yeah. yeah. So let's say that um, I'm married and I have a government pension that's been p- paying me like 4000 bucks a month. And then my spouse has social security benefits right. that's paying the spouse $3,000 a month. Okay. And then if the spouse passes, then I receive the the benefit, so I would get my pension of three or four thousand plus a survivor benefit of three or four thousand. Right, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, seven grand a month. Right. Yeah. So no, but no, they don't let you do that. They don't let you, yes. So if you have a government pension that is under the windfall or wept, um, I'll just say it that way. Wept. Um, w e p. Correct. E d. You're making it plural. <laughs> wept. If, wept out. <laughs> Um, just understand that there's calculators that you can go online and to figure out exactly how much that your pension or your social security benefits are going to be reduced. Right. And then that's what Kevin's doing. So he's like, okay, well, I'm running different scenarios here. And then, um, she only has 11 years of earnings. Her social security benefit is estimated to be a thousand dollars, but it's not because it gets, um, wept 40%. So it's $400. Um, so would it be correct to say that she could qualify for the larger of the two benefits? $400 a month is her benefit or $600 a month would be his survivor benefit due to the government offset provision. Right. Uh, and the answer is yes. Yeah. The higher the two. The higher the two. Yeah. But they're both significantly reduced. Correct. So, um, yeah, yeah. He's got, well, Kevin, love you. But man, you got some time on your hands. I mean, all of this for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, right. So, yeah, well, I guess it's beer money. 193 bucks a month. I mean, yeah. forever though. Yeah, it's That's, a ton. Forever is a long time. There Can't you go. Be. So he also wants to talk about bonds. Uh, we got to take a short break. We can kind of get into that. But th- I mean, this guy's got an investment policy statement. He's got spreadsheets. He Love knows it. when to rebalance. I mean, he is dialed in. He is. He's been listening to our show for years. And he's like, well, you know, I watched uh, your webinar and Al kind of half-assed my question. <laughs> so l- let me spend a lot let, more time. Let me really give you and the guess details. What? We're going to half-ass it again here today. Yeah, we'll um, do our best. So Kevin, we're still on Kevin's question here. Okay. Uh, we answered the first one. Uh, second one is he, he was on our webinar, Al. Right. And he had a question on bonds. And so now he's got an attempt to be succinct. So he probably didn't, he said, I, 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 properly, I, I have not properly worded my question. I appreciate Al's comments and absorb <laughs> some of the information, but, but it still left me it, unsure about my understanding of bonds. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Can you opine? Okay. Do you, so do like you think clo- Kevin was like a professor? Yeah. When I hear opine, I just think of clopine. Because it rhymes what, with it. I don't even know what opine means. Give an opinion. 
<laughs> means can you like agree with it? Or you could just say you, that, right? right? Can you opine? Just tell them what your opinion is. <laughs> My next date, I'm going to say, can you opine? <laughs> <laughs> On, How do you think this on, on a certain topic I'm gonna <laughs> bring up? Yes, it's gonna be great. So, right. So okay. I can't wait to hear about that date. Okay. Um, all right. So, so I think a lot of people have questions with bonds, and I'm gonna keep it very simple and sure. easy, uh, because he's confused. He's like, well, what's the difference between a corporate bond, a government bond, a treasury bond, long-term bond, short-term bond? Should I own them all? Should I have them less? What's the purpose of bonds? Interest rates are very low. What's what, what's the deal? Right. So let's let's kind of talk high level. Is that a bond? First of all, is a loan. So, Kevin, you're loaning your money to either a corporation or your or, or to the government, right, or the United States Treasury. Right. And so, in return for that loan, you're getting a certain coupon payment or an interest rate. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And then at the end of the term of the loan, right, they're paying you interest to hold their money. And then at the end of the term of the loan, you get your money back. And it's a short-term loan or long-term loan. Could be a couple of years. Could be six months. Could be 20 years. It could be, yeah, right. So that's really what a bond is. You're lending your money to an organization in return of their capital that of your capital that that company's using. They got to pay you for that. You got to be yeah. compensated because you're not using that money to invest yourself or to consume it. You're lending it to someone else, and then for lending it out, you got to receive compensation in regards. In, in, it, yeah, it comes in a form of interest. I think that's a really good way to say it because I mean, bond sounds like such a foreign word to some people, but loan. We get that. You borrow right. money, you pay interest, and then you pay it back. But we're just on the other side. I think all of us have taken out a loan. Yeah. Uh, we, but we, now you're the, acting as the bank. Yeah, because most of us don't loan money to people. Right. right. Well, you do to you know family members and you don't get it back. Yeah, I've done that. That's called a default. That, <laughs> that's called a gift. <laughs> yeah, a gift. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, so it defaulted on you. You just turned it into a gift. That's right. Um, so with that, with that in mind, just understand there's certain risks associated with it. So if you're lending your money to an organization, a company, right, for 30 years, let's say, versus right. 30 days, there's more risk in lending it to a company for 30 days. So you have to demand a higher interest rate for the term of the loan. So 30 years, you're figuring that company is going to be around in 30 years to pay off your, but you your have to, the, 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 the bond, the note. Yeah. Exactly. So you have to receive a larger payment, right? You have to be compensated for taking that risk. So if you're looking at maybe a below average company versus above average company in regards to management and efficiencies on how they run things, well, if you have a, a really terrible company that you're lending money to for a very long for period of time, years, right? Like, you just understand that you're probably going to get, you, you need highly compensation here. Um, and those would be like high yield bonds. Yeah. High interest rate to cover the risk. Right. Because you're getting paid a lot more on a high yield bond potentially than you are in a 30 day treasury. Yeah. Right? Remember the Puerto Rico bonds that were paying 29%? Yeah. For they, like three days. And, and they, then defaulted. they defaulted. <laughs> yeah. so, so, all right. So just understand that there's risks associated with. So if I'm lending my money to the U.S. Treasury, okay, well, there's very little risk there because they continue to print money. Yeah, I think that's an important point. A company doesn't print money. They make money, hopefully. Yeah. The government actually controls the money supply and can print money. So <laughs> that's why they call a T-bill or a government bond, government loan, if you will, risk-free. Yeah, right? it's the risk-free rate. Right. Right. And then so then he gets into, well, what should I own? Well, it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. 
here's what we believe that bonds should be used for is to, 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 to taper off the volatility of the stock component of the portfolio. Yeah. If you have 100% stocks and the, your portfolio drops 50%, you need 100% rate of return to get back to square one. And as you approach retirement, it takes a long time to get 100% on your money. So when you look at, all right, but you want to reach a certain target rate of return. So maybe you have 50% stocks, 50% bonds. So instead of going down 50%, you're only going down 25%. And then from there, you need a 33% rate of return to get your money back. So it, it, you just have to run the math. We look at it as just to damper the overall volatility of the portfolio. It's very difficult to build a bond portfolio to, to, to have any type of income you know, generated unless you have millions, right? Because the interest rates are so low. Yeah, particularly right now, and 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 I think that you know bonds they they're they're supposed to be slightly non-correlated with stocks, meaning they they may, but it's not always, but sometimes they go in a slightly opposite direction. Well, I would say short-term <laughs> treasuries do. If the yeah. market's going to tank, there's a flight to quality. They That's call right. It, then they go into very that, safe investments. Right, and that that was going to be my point. So if the market went down twenty-five percent, and you, if you own half stocks, you would figure, okay, I'm down twenty-five. I mean, if it went down fifty percent, now I'm down twenty-five percent, but the the short-term bonds might have gone up a little, a little bit. So maybe I'm only down 22% because they, they actually went up in value. Right. Um, so looking at what you're trying to accomplish is just to, t- to taper out the volatility, just to make the ride a little bit smoother for you so you stay in your seat. Plus, we use it as a buffer to help rebalance. So as stocks go down, you have safe money to buy stocks as they're low. Right, because if it's all stock and the market's down, you're not gonna. You're selling something that's down to buy something else that's down. No, you sell asset classes that are up in value to buy asset classes that are low in value. Right. Now, I, I would say if you, if you're young and you don't need the money for a long, long time, and you're okay with the volatility, have very few bonds. Right. Right. Because stocks are going to outperform bonds, bonds over the long term. But what I what I have found talking to a lot of 30 year olds that don't really understand the stock market that well, they would do better to have some bonds just so they don't go down as much and get frustrated and get out of the market and say the market doesn't work for me. We've seen people like that for decades that missed out on huge returns. Right. Just because of lack of experience or they see account go down. It's like, right. well, no, I don't want this isn't any money. good. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, interest rates are at all-time lows. Are they going to go up? And if they go up, bond prices will go down. So that's where you got to be careful. Does a long-term bond make sense? Because the longer the term, you're going to have more interest rate fluctuations or term risk. Right. Because it's is if I'm long on a bond and interest rates go up, my bond price is going to get hammered because no one will want to buy it because they'll buy another bond that is at a higher interest rate. So yeah. just understand the risks and return parameters around bonds. We would say stay short, stay high in quality until, you know. Rates are up, I guess. <laughs> right, then Which, you're timing it. And yeah, right, right, right. So just be diversified. But we feel that being short and um, in, in high in quality is probably the best way to go. Our director of research, Brian Perry, CFP, CFA, recorded a video late last year called Should You Buy Bonds in 2020? Then the pandemic hit and the market went sideways. I've posted his video in the podcast show notes. Check it out and see how his November 2019 thoughts on bonds hold up in September of 2020. I've also linked to the single most popular blog on all of purefinancial.com, the difference between stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and check it all out. 
All right, uh, Alexander, he's got a question. Okay. Uh, my niece recently had a baby. Well, congratulations, Uncle Alexander. I guess great uncle. Yeah, my yeah. niece had a baby. That's yeah. great uncle. All right. Uh, this is their second child. The first child is two years old. Uh, rather than a one-time cash gift, what financial accounts would help this new baby and the two-year-old get started with the financial planning? 529 college fund? Can a newborn have an IRA account? What are the long-term accounts you would suggest uh, that they set up to take advantage of for many years these children um, have in front of them? I live in Arizona. My niece and her family live in Florida. She and her husband are in their mid-20s. He's a professor of a local college. Currently, she is stay-at-home mom. I'm not sure what um, niece's husband's income is. Uh, okay, cool. Uncle, Great Uncle Alexander is looking out for the nie- his great couple, nieces. A couple, couple of newborns. A couple, couple, couple of kids. Well, I guess I can. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, the 529, uh, you can't do the IRA uh, just because there's no earned income in a newborn, unless they're like a, a child yeah, like actor. Like model or something model, for, yeah. for milk or something. <laughs> yes, <right>. Milk bottles. <laughs> Gerber baby food. Or, <laughs> right. you know, One of those. Yeah. If, if there's a paycheck, they so that the kids need earned income to start a retirement account. So even though that would be the best solution uh, for, you know, to pop in a few thousand dollars into a Roth IRA for each of them, yeah. you know, have a compound tax free for their, you know, for their life would be, would be great, but you, you can't do that. Um, 529 plans, you absolutely could do that. That would compound tax free if they use it for college. Uh, the downside there is what is restricted if they don't go to school. Sure. Uh, but I think that's still a good idea. Yeah. I personally, I think that's the best idea because uh, it, you know, you probably would like your nieces to go to college and sort of, in, you know, you're but in college cr- is going to be free Al, by the time they go. That's, well, maybe a community college, <laughs> but anyway, I think that's, I think that encourages good behavior on the, on the part of your, your nieces. I think that's a great way to go. How about just a, they could do an UNTMA or UGMA. They could, account. they could, but then they'd have full access to it at age 18 for anything they want to. Yeah. Um, they could set up a brokerage account as well that would give them the full flexibility, the best tax advantage, but um, that there would be zero control. So I guess it's up to Alex of what he's looking at or Alexander to say, all right, I want to control this. I want to make sure that it doesn't get you know, spent on things that Alexander doesn't necessarily want them to get spent on, like a new you know, car or something. Like right, that, right, right. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Al. I think the 529 plan is probably the best way to go. You can open up a 529 plan. And what that is, folks, is that it's a, it's a college account. Um, each state has it uh, that you can invest in for a beneficiary. Um, and you can have multiple beneficiaries. Uh, and it grows tax-free if it's used for qualified you know, educational expenses. Uh, the SECURE Act changed some of that as well, that like homeschooling, I think now, and tutoring and some other stuff is probably available. Is, is allowable. Not all states conformed. So it makes it tricky. Yeah. So you want to look at, all right, well, they live in Florida. Do you want to do a Florida 529 plan? Um, should I do one? And, um, and he lives 
Um, in Arizona, so should he use the Arizona one? Does he get a tax benefit, a state tax benefit? Because some states you get a state tax benefit by contributing to a 529 plan. That is true. And so, we, li- we live in California and there's no benefit. So for us in California, it doesn't matter what state we pick. It's You can use it for any college in any state. You're right though, but some states do offer a tax credit. So you might want to check that. Um, yeah. So, all right. But uh, it's, a, it's a really cool thought. A good I guess like birthday presents each year, you you throw a couple hundred bucks into the overall account, let it grow tax deferred. Um, but yeah, so let's just go down the path. If they use it for college, then the original contribution plus the growth is tax free, right? If they don't go to college and they just pull the money out, the original contribution is return of basis. And then everything else is taxed as ordinary income plus penalty. So um, that would give you a, the restrictions yeah, to control yeah, right. it. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, but I wonder what happens to 529 plans when college is free. They got uh, to, maybe. Uh, can I get a refund for the, 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 the how much money that I spent? <laughs> Me personally, uh, to no, put my, old, myself through college. It was, it was too long ago. I worked There's a, three jobs. Three years statutory Plus period. my uh, <laughs> student loans. That I, I, I would say that's that's a you know it's a nice idea it's probably i don't think that's happening stick around to the end we got derails for you your money your wealth is presented by pure financial advisors get your free detailed personalized assessment of your overall financial situation by clicking the get an assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised do not rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Big Joe or Big Joe? Oh my God. Alan Joe. Sit around here. I feel punch drunk already. You know? <laughs> uh, I think that's the first time I ever said that. Big Joe? No, I'm Big Joe a little else. <laughs> you like to talk about yourself in the third person? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, boy. So every, it, that think, is my biggest pet peeve of like I almost know. ever. Well, there's, I wonder this, there's occasions, there's sometimes where I write an email where I have to refer to you and I and Paul and Mike and I could put myself, sometimes I just put Al just so people know what it is, but I always cringe because I go, Joe's going to read this and go, Al's talking about himself in the third person. Yeah, Al's pretty good at this time for a meeting. <laughs> Dude, it's an email. Let me just check. Say, Let me check with Al. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, Alan, are you are you good for three p.m.? Um, yeah, Alan's just fine at three p.m. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, sincerely, Alan. Uh, <laughs> That's one of my favorite names. Oh, it's yeah. If my last name was Smith, I go Smitty. go by Smitty. Oh, for yeah, sure. <laughs> without question. Um, you, you can't, doesn't work with Anderson or Clopine. No, Andy, the, my f- football coach in, um, yeah, in, not high school, junior high, he called me Andy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got and, it. I, and I was like, well, why the hell is he calling me Andy? Yeah. And then Anderson. Anderson. I wasn't yeah. that bright <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> I've never been called Clopy. Clopy. Yeah. You've been called Opie. Oh, I have been called Opie. <laughs> I know you have. <laughs> By my wife. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Smitty. 
every time I say that word, I just think about a guy drinking a beer. <laughs> Right? Like, I, I just think of Mike Smith. No, baseball player's got like a cool yeah. mustache. Yeah, yeah. Smoking a heater. <laughs> Maybe a Pabst Blue Ribbon or something like Could that. Could be. Right. Oh.